everyone. I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you value this podcast as a free and independent educational resource, you can support the show by making a monthly donation at patreon.com slash words for granted. I've just posted a short podcast episode for contributors that covers the etymology of desultory. Don't know what desultory means? I didn't either the first time I encountered the word, which was the inspiration for the episode. Now, if you're listening to this around the time of its release, there's still about a week and a half left to sign up for the virtual Latin 101 course taught by Harvard PhD candidate Rebecca Deitch. We've hit our minimum number of enrollees, and we'll be starting the first class on June 3rd. Classes will be held weekly on Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time for eight weeks. You can find out more by going to wordsforgranted.com and clicking the Latin 101 tab. And while you're there, why not sign up for the newsletter? Okay, enough with my sales pitches. Let's get on to today's episode, part four in a series on the lost letters of the English alphabet. Thus far in this series, we've looked in detail at the lost letters ev, thorn, win, insular g, and yog. They all have something in common. They all represent consonants. Today, we'll be looking at two lost letters that represent vowels, ash and ethel. In classical Latin, the pronunciation of the letter we call a was a. This could be pronounced short, a, or long, a. Unlike in modern English, in Latin, the designation of a vowel as short or long literally meant that it was a shorter or longer version of the same fundamental sound. Now, like Latin, Old English also had the ah vowel sound, so when the Anglo-Saxons adapted the Latin alphabet to write Old English, they just used the Latin letter a, which again represented ah, to represent this same sound in English. Very convenient. However, as we all know, in modern English, the short and long vowel sounds associated with the letter a are not ah and ah, but a and a. We can attribute these different phonetic values of the modern letter A to sound changes that have taken place over the last millennium, but there's a twist. Old English did, in fact, have the A sound, but it just wasn't represented by the letter A. It was represented by the letter ash, whose emergence in the alphabet we'll discuss in just a minute. Latin did not have the a sound, and therefore it didn't have a letter to represent it. We've seen this scenario before in previous episodes in this series, and the way that the Anglo-Saxons solved the problem of having native English sounds that don't neatly map onto Latin letters was either a by borrowing runes from native Germanic runic alphabets that represented these sounds, or b by modifying existing letters of the Latin alphabet. The lost letters thorn and win were runes, while eth and yog were modifications of the letters d and g, respectively. In order to represent the a sound, the Anglo-Saxons sort of used this second method of modification to create ash. I say sort of because ash is merely a ligature of a and e. A ligature is when two letters are fused together or connected in some way to form a single character. It comes from the Latin word ligatus, meaning to bind. 
While ligatures in English have been on a decline for the last century, many of us are familiar with the concept of connecting multiple letters with a single continuous stroke in the form of cursive writing. Though, to be fair, cursive writing is very much on the decline, too. Ligatures have an ancient history, and they're not unique to English or even to the Latin script. As far back as Sumerian cuneiform, scribes have been using ligatures as a way of saving both time and space. Ligatures were also popular during the early days of the printing press for the same reason. Having press blocks with multiple letters linked together as a single character would save the printer time and space on the page. Historically, the most common ligature-forming letter in the Latin script was F. FI, FF, and FL were often printed as a single character with one of F's rightward-facing parallel lines linking up with the adjacent letter. The letter S was also used in many ligatures, particularly the now-extinct long S variant of the letter, which is a topic we'll discuss in a later episode in this series. Actually, the symbol ampersand, which is, you know, the symbol we use to represent and, that began as a ligature of the letters E and T, because it was the Latin word for and. But the Old English ash, which again was a ligature of the letters A and E, was different from all of the ligatures just mentioned. The sound of ash did not correspond to the sounds of the letters A and E pronounced in succession, whereas ligatures like F-I and F-L would have been pronounced F and Fl. The ligature ash was actually a letter unto itself, representing a sound distinct from that of either A or E. In Old English, A said A and E said A, while ash said A. In early Old English manuscripts, a digraph where A and E appear as two separate letters was sometimes used to represent the A sound, albeit unphonetically, but by the 9th century, the ligature where the two letters were fused together became the standard way of representing this sound. So why did the Anglo-Saxons call this letter ash instead of just a? Ash was the name of the rune that represented this sound in the Futhork. For those who haven't listened to the previous episodes in this series, the Futhork was the runic alphabet used by the Anglo-Saxons before adapting the Latin alphabet to write Old English. The runic alphabets were a set of related alphabets used by ancient Germanic tribes to write ancient Germanic languages. The rune Ash looked a little bit like the letter F, but with the rightward-facing parallel lines slanting downward at 45-degree angles. The similarity in appearance between the rune Ash and the letter F may be why Anglo-Saxon scribes chose not to borrow this rune directly. As we saw in the previous episode, the rune win was borrowed into the Anglo-Saxon Latin alphabet to represent the w sound, and one of the reasons it faded out of usage so quickly was probably because it looked so similar to the letter P. Unlike the other lost letters we've looked at in this series, which are all obscure outside the realm of English scholarship, some of you may be saying, I've seen ash before. It's in some old-fashioned renderings of words like encyclopedia, archaeology, eon, and proper nouns like Caesar, Aeneas, and Egypt. Oh, and in that Tool album, Enema, from the mid-90s. The title of that Tool album is actually a made-up combination of the words anima and enema, but 
in these other examples, you're totally right. They are sometimes anachronistically or stylistically spelled with a ligature that combines A and E. However, these ligatures are not the distinctly Old English letter ash, though they are identical to it in appearance. These ligatures are merely a stylistic contraction of the letters A and E in Latin-derived loanwords. So, what's the difference? Well, in Latin, the letters A and E appear side-by-side side frequently, not as a ligature, but as two separate letters, and this letter combination is pronounced I. This might seem similar to modern English digraphs like OO for U or AU for A, where two letters are used to represent a single sound. But in English, the phonetic pronunciation of two O's in succession, or the letters AU in succession, don't correspond to the pronunciations of the OO and AU digraphs. But in Latin, the sound I actually does correspond to the pronunciation of the letters A and E. Recall that in Latin, A said A and E said A. And if you say A and A back to back very quickly, I, 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 you actually get the vowel I. The vowel I is a special kind of vowel called a diphthong, which is a vowel sound that glides from one vowel to another within a single syllable. Now, sometimes Latin scribes would combine A and E into a ligature identical in appearance to the Old English ash, but the motivation here was not to create a new letter with a unique sound, but, like I mentioned earlier, to save space on a piece of papyrus or on a stone inscription. The Latin written record attests all sorts of unstandardized ligatures combining letters such as V and E, I and N, T and I, and many more. More often than not, the letters A and E were not combined into a single ligature, and when they were, it was unremarkable. The reason I'm going over all of this is just to enforce that, number one, the Old English ash was not a continuation of some standardized Latin ligature, and number two, that the pronunciation of ash as a in Old English has no Latin precedent. But if this is the case, you may be wondering why some Latin-derived English words were historically printed with an A-E ligature. These include words I mentioned earlier, in addition to some others like gynecology and Aesop, as in Aesop's fables. You also may have seen neoclassical architecture with Latin inscriptions where the letters A-E are rendered as a ligature, even when there's no need to save space and none of the other letters are fused together in this way. Well, the A-E ligature in Latin became an orthographical convention in medieval Latin. This is because by the early medieval period, the pronunciation of the Latin diphthong I shifted to E which is not a diphthong, but a monophthong, or a pure vowel sound, a single vowel sound. In response to this sound shift, scribes used the A-E ligature as a way of preserving the etymological spelling of words containing these letters, while simultaneously indicating that the letters A and E should not be given their traditional phonetic values. Like I said, this was an update to classical Latin orthography, because in classical Latin, this ligature would not have signaled anything special at all. Another way scribes responded to this sound change was by using the e caudata, or tailed e. 
This was simply the letter E, with a hook-shaped diacritical mark at the bottom. However, when English began borrowing an influx of words directly from Latin during the Renaissance, most significantly during the 16th century, it was the A-E ligature, not the E caudata, that made an impact on English orthography. Over time, many of these Latin words originally spelled with A-E not only lost their ligature, but they've also lost the letter A altogether. For example, words such as enigma, equal, era, eternal, hyena, premium, plus many others, were all originally spelled in English with either the A-E digraph or an A-E ligature. But today, they are all just spelled with an E. In some words, the A has been lost in the American English spelling, but preserved in the British English spelling. For example, in Britain, encyclopedia is often spelled encyclopaedia. That's how the Encyclopedia Britannica spells it. But in America, encyclopedia is always spelled encyclopedia. There are similar spelling divides between British and American English in words such as orthopedic, hemorrhoid, medieval, anesthesia, panacea, among others, with the British spellings being more etymologically conservative. To the disdain of some British English purists, in future generations, and even in the current younger generation, I think it's inevitable that these more conservative spellings will eventually give way entirely to their simpler, more phonetic American English variants. We've spent a long time digressing from the Old English letter ash, so let's get back to the letter that sparked this whole discussion. Unlike the Latin ligature AE, whose vestiges still occasionally surface in the 21st century, it's difficult, if not impossible, to determine if a modern English word was formally spelled with an ash in Old English just by looking at the word today. That's because, after ash became extinct, the letter that replaced it was inconsistent from word to word. Let's look at some examples. In Old English, the words after, that, and father all contained the letter ash. After was spelled ash, F-T-E-R. That was spelled thorn, ash, T and fader was spelled F-A-S-H-D-E-R. Today, these words are just spelled with the letter A. So, in some words, ash gave way to the letter A. In Old English, depending on the dialect, the words England and English itself were sometimes spelled with an ash, while today, these words are of course just spelled with an E. In Old English, the word for either was awather, spelled a-H-Win-Ash-Thorn-E-R, and in this case, Ash gave way to the digraph E-I. Note that that last word contained three lost English letters, Win, Ash, and Thorn. The variant spellings of these modern descendants of words that once contained an Ash are due to a number of complex factors, such as regional pronunciations, language-wide sound changes, including the Great Vowel Shift, and historical developments unique to individual words. With the advent of Middle English in the mid-11th century, the letter Ash fell out of usage. If you've listened to previous episodes in this series, you may be thinking, I know why. You're thinking I'm going to say that after the Norman French conquered England in 1066, French began to exert a strong influence on English, and Norman scribes didn't like using uniquely English letters like ash, thorn, and win. 
That's a great intuition. But even though French didn't use ash as a unique letter to represent the a sound, which was foreign to Norman French, French scribes would have been familiar with the ligature combining a and e. But even so, the main factor contributing to the decline of the letter ash is actually the decline of the a sound itself in Middle English. Now, hold on. Don't we still have the a sound in modern English? Yes, we do. But it was lost at the beginning of the Middle English period and then re-emerged during the early modern English period as a result of the great vowel shift. In Middle English, a said ah, which is a back vowel. The a sound associated with the Old English ash merged with this ah sound, which is to say that it moved back in the mouth. During the 16th and 17th centuries, this back vowel ah moved forward in the mouth, resulting in a, which then reintroduced the a sound into modern English phonology. Ash may be a lost letter in the English alphabet today, but it actually still lives on in a handful of other modern alphabets, most notably in Scandinavian alphabets, including Norwegian, Danish, Icelandic, and Faroese, but interestingly, not in Swedish. The inclusion of ash in these modern Germanic alphabets traces back to the orthography of Old Norse, and Old Norse can trace back its borrowing of ash to Old English. Ash is also used in the International Phonetic Alphabet as the universal symbol for a. This may seem odd to us because a says a is one of the first things that we learn in school, but English is actually unusual in this respect. In most languages written with the Latin script, the letter a represents an ah sound. As we've already mentioned, this was the original sound associated with the letter in Latin. Old English had another ligature combining two Latin letters, but only briefly. This letter was called ethyl, and it fused together the letters O and E. As previously discussed, Old English was written in a runic alphabet called Futhork before the Anglo-Saxons adopted the Latin script. In the Futhork, there was a rune called ethyl, and it represented the U sound, which is not a sound that we have in modern English. It's the close-mid front-rounded vowel represented in the International Phonetic Alphabet as an O with a slash through it. This letter ethyl occasionally appears in early Old English manuscripts written in the Latin script as a transliteration of the Futhork rune named ethyl, hence the ligature's name. The letter ethyl, like the rune ethyl, represented the U sound. For the record, the ethyl rune looked like two vertical diamonds stacked on top of each other, with the lower diamond missing its lower half. The ethyl ligature is absent from the vast majority of extant Anglo-Saxon literature because by the time this literature was written down, in West Saxon Old English dialects, the vowel sound that ethyl represented, u, had merged with the vowel sound, a, and much of the Old English corpus is written in a West Saxon dialect. Consequently, words in the previous centuries that would have been written with the letter ethyl, or for that matter with the rune ethyl, were simply written with the letter e. But in the Anglian Old English dialect, this u sound persisted for a bit longer, resulting in occasional variant Anglian spellings of words that do indeed use this ligature ethyl. 
Ethel is so rare in Old English writing that, in my main go-to sources on Old English scholarship, it's seldom even mentioned. It's also unanimously absent from Old English Latin alphabets. However, the O-E ligature did re-emerge in English during the Renaissance, but from a different source. You'll recall from our discussion of Ash that Latin scribes often used ligatures to save time and space. Much like the fusing of A with E, the fusing of O with E in classical Latin was not uncommon, but it was in no way standardized. In classical Latin, O-E, either as two separate letters or as a ligature, represented the diphthong oi. If you break it down, the diphthong oi glides from the O to the E sound. Oi, 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 oi. This diphthong was prominent in ancient Greek, but rare in native Latin, so most Latin words that contain O-E are actually Greek loanwords. As we've discussed, English borrowed lots of loanwords directly from Latin and Greek during the early Renaissance period, and at this point, the pronunciation of that Latin diphthong oi had shifted to the a sound. In response to this sound shift, Latin writers began writing words containing oe with an oe ligature in order to preserve their etymology while signaling that the letters o and e should not be given their traditional phonetic values. If you're having deja vu, it's because I said the same exact thing about the AE ligature in medieval Latin. The classical Latin diphthongs oi, represented by oe, and i, represented by ae, both shifted, resulting in the conventional use of single character ligatures to represent their new sounds. What this means is that when English borrowed Latin words during this time period, if those words contained an OE ligature, that ligature came into English too. Again, same story we heard with Latin loan words containing the AE ligature borrowed during this time period. It may be tempting to call this OE ligature ethyl, but that would be anachronistic. Ethel was originally a Germanic rune that had nothing to do with the Latin script, and the sound associated with ethyl and the sound associated with the Latin OE digraph are different. A short list of Latin loanwords that originally would have been written with an OE ligature includes amoeba, diarrhea, gonorrhea, esophagus, economy, tragedy, onomatopoeia, subpoena, and phoenix. Of these, amoeba, onomatopoeia, subpoena, and phoenix have retained OE as a digraph in modern English, while diarrhea, gonorrhea, esophagus, economy, and tragedy have not. Only the E half of the digraph remains. As we can see from this set of words, the vowels once represented by the OE ligature, or the OE digraph, have resulted in a few different pronunciations in modern English. As it turns out, these modern pronunciations usually follow predictable patterns. This would be much easier for me to demonstrate to you with a chart than over audio, but I'm going to try. In words where the Latin OE digraph is followed by another vowel, it's pronounced as a long E in modern English. We see this in words like onomatopoeia and diarrhea. Diarrhea is one of those words that has lost its etymological O, but it used to be spelled D-I-A-R-R-H-O-E-A. 
In words where the Latin OE digraph is part of an open syllable that follows or precedes a stressed syllable, it's pronounced as uh in modern English. This is the vowel sound known as schwa. We see this in words like esophagus, once spelled O-E-S-O-P-H-A-G-U-S, tragedy, once spelled T-R-A-G-O-E-D-Y, and economy, once spelled O-E-C-O-N-O-M-Y. An open syllable, by the way, is simply a syllable that ends with a vowel. So the uh in esophagus is an open vowel. That open vowel is followed by the stressed syllable sa, resulting in esophagus instead of esophagus. In tragedy, j is an open syllable followed by the stressed syllable d, so we get tragedy instead of tragedy. Economy is sometimes pronounced economy, so this one is an exception to the rule. In words where the Latin OE digraph is a stress syllable in either of the word's final two syllables, it's pronounced as long E in modern English, as in subpoena and phoenix. And lastly, in words where the Latin OE digraph is a main stressed syllable that doesn't appear in the word's final two syllables, it's pronounced as a short E, as in confederate, once spelled C-O-N-F, O-E-D-E-R-A-T-E, and penalty, once spelled P-O-E-N-A-L-T-Y. We also have a short E pronunciation of words where the Latin O-E digraph is a stressed closed syllable, as in estrogen, once spelled O-E-S-T-R-O-G-E-N. A closed syllable is the opposite of an open syllable, which is to say that it's a syllable that ends in a consonant. Interestingly, this word estrogen is a 20th century medical neologism, not a direct loan word from Latin. By the time this word was invented, the medieval and Renaissance Latin convention of the OE ligature was well in the distant past, yet the word was originally universally spelled with the unphonetic OE as a way of preserving the classical etymology of the word and to give the word an air of inflated dignity, I suppose. In American English, estrogen is always spelled with an initial E, but in British English, I think, it's still sometimes spelled with an initial O-E. Even more interestingly, the word fetus, which in North America is spelled with just an E, but in the UK is spelled with an O-E, was in earlier centuries sometimes written with this O-E ligature, but as it turns out, the O-E spelling here is unetymological to begin with. Fetus derives from the Latin fetus, which never had an O in it. This O emerged as a mistaken Latinism. The preservation of this mistaken O-E spelling in British English spellings of fetus is reflective of the language's generally more conservative orthography, as discussed earlier. Now, if you are a British English speaker, I'm curious if you have strong opinions about these more conservative spellings containing O-E versus the more phonetic but less conservative North American ones. Do you use these spellings consistently? Sometimes? Never? I'd love to know. So shoot me an email at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. Anyway, I'd venture to say that the most common place to find the OE ligature in modern English spelling in both American and British English alike is in a single word. Hors d'oeuvres. Now, as I was typing the script for this episode, I misspelled hors d'oeuvres, and it was autocorrected with 
O and E rendered as separate letters, but on a restaurant menu or on a frozen food package that's trying to seem fancy or authentic, you're likely to see hors d'oeuvres spelled with O-E as a ligature. Hors d'oeuvre is a French loan word that refers to appetizers, finger foods, or other small dishes. It literally means outside of the work, suggesting that hors d'oeuvres are served separately from the main meal. The reason that the O-E in hors d'oeuvres is sometimes represented with a ligature in English is because in French, which is where the word comes from, there are a handful of words in which the O-E ligature is not optional. The E dans l'eau is a standardized part of the way these words are written, marking a different pronunciation from when the letters O and E are written separately. French words such as cœur, meaning heart, ser, meaning sister, and oeuf, meaning egg, are all always written with O-E as a ligature. However, the E dans l'eau is not alphabetized as its own letter in the French alphabet. There is one alphabet where the OE ligature does have the status as a letter, and that is our old friend, the International Phonetic Alphabet. The OE ligature, or E dans l'eau, or ethyl, or whatever you want to call it, represents the open mid-front rounded vowel, E. All right, that's it for today's meandering odyssey into lost letters of the English alphabet. I hope you had fun and that you were able to follow along. Again, if you love the show, I encourage you to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast. And again, if you want to support my research and the regular output of content here, you can become a monthly contributor at patreon.com slash words for granted or make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash words for granted. Have a great day. I'll catch you next time.